Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast with me, Tally Rye. This is the podcast that helps you have a feel-good relationship with fitness, food, and body image. And today I'm chatting to Gillian McCollum, who is an anti-diet coach and body positive yoga teacher. And we had such a brilliant conversation about the process of leaving the diet cycle, of leaving diet culture behind, the messy middle of all of that, and what that then in turn brings. And I really think you will enjoy this um, episode and really get inspired by Gillian's story. Because as with all these things, all these professionals who work in this space, they've certainly got their own personal journey as well. But before we get into that, it is time for Train Happy Trooper of the Week. This week's Train Happy Moment comes from G and G says, Hi Tally, I just wanted to say a huge thank you for inspiring me to restart tennis after many years. I have felt embarrassed to go back since gaining so much weight and losing body confidence since I last played. After seeing you get so much enjoyment out of the sport and listening to your podcast, I have my first class book for tomorrow. I'm a bit nervous, but more so excited. I cannot thank you enough. Gee, I am loving this message. Now, regular listeners of the podcast and people who follow me online know I'm tennis obsessed. I used to love watching it. Now I've learned to play tennis and it is my current favorite thing and it's just one of my favorite activities and I'm so excited that it has inspired you to give it a go because you don't have to be any certain type of person you don't have to look a certain way to play tennis I really think it can be for everyone at my tennis club some of the best players are literally in their 80s they are in their 80s people and they're still playing which is incredible and also a reminder that everyone can do it like there's you're never too late. You're never too late to go and try things, to go back to things. Um, and, you know, I think especially post-COVID and, you know, I know a lot of people have gone through that kind of weight gain process through COVID that they feel like they can't go and try these things maybe that they did before or go and have, you know, do these activities they did before because they've perhaps they've gained weight. Perhaps their fitness isn't what it was. Um, but you can go back you don't have to be good at it you don't have to be the most perfect player there ever was Um, simply turning up having fun giving it a go is what it's all about Um, we can't all be Serena Williams and you know what I'm making peace with that it's okay okay so if you want to share your train happy moment with us we want to hear from you send your train happy moment to our whatsapp you can send a voice note or you can send a message we love both. You can send them to 075-999-27537. If you're an international listener, just put a plus four four in front of that. And I look forward to hearing from you and sharing your train happy moment on the podcast. It is time to get into this week's conversation with Gillian McCollum. 
Gillian, welcome to the Train Happy podcast. I'm really excited to be chatting with you. Are you based in Scotland? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I'm in Edinburgh. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So for people who don't know you, you're a weight inclusive coach and anti-diet coach. You're also a yoga teacher, training to be a therapist. I mean, you're doing so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm trying to juggle it all um, all together. And it's, um, yeah, it's been quite a ride. I started off being um, a yoga teacher and then I became a health coach. And as you know, this just this journey takes you into all sorts of places and realized that actually how I wanted to be helping people was more through therapeutic lens so but as you say yeah absolutely anti-diet weight inclusive uh, approach to the work that I do with folks. Well I want to get into all of this because I think what's interesting is so many people working in this space have also gone on their own personal journey I, I think it's few and far between of people working especially in like an anti-diet space who haven't gone well I've also had my complete roller coaster ride with diet culture too yeah and I understand you're no exception. So um, I would love to get into kind of your journey to where you are now, um, because my understanding is there was about 15 years of dieting for you yeah. in the past. Um, what was that like? Yeah, I I call it my my dieting career because that's what it felt like, right? Wow, it, that's such a good way to put it. It felt like a full-time job. It felt like something that I had to constantly be learning and keeping up to date with and implementing. Um, yeah, it took up a lot of a lot of headspace. Um, a lot of um, there was a lot of costs to that. A lot of social costs. I convinced myself it was all in the name of health, but I can truly say I've never been so unhealthy than when I was pursuing relentless weight loss at all costs. What was that unhealthy like for you? So <laughs> it's easy to look back and kind of uh, laugh at it now, but truly at the time I um, was very single point focused on shrinking my body. I knew that I was born with a body that wasn't naturally meant to be thin. So for me, rather than embracing that, that meant I had to double down and do twice as much work as anybody else would have to do. So um I went through all the different diets that you can imagine. I used exercise, compulsive exercise as a way to suppress weight. Um, but when you asked me there and I laughed, the memory that came to mind was turning up at my in-laws on Christmas Day with a Tupperware box with my food in it. Because unlike some people who start new diets on New Year's Day, I was wanted to kind of get ahead of the game so I would start my diets on Christmas day which is must be so hard yeah yeah it it it, it was it was I was definitely the kind of person that because I had this reputation right everyone in my life knew that food stuff was um always at the front of my mind so anytime I went to visit anybody the first question would be like, what's, what's your food like right now? Like, what are you not having? What are you restricting? What are you, are you eggs? Are you no eggs? Are you gluten? Are you no gluten? Are you sure? Because that was just like, they knew that there would always be an accommodation required for me. Um, because this was my, this was like my primary hobby, my primary career, right? It was just who I was. It feels quite sad reflecting back on that, I have to say. Yeah, like you say, I've never heard someone say that that was my, yeah, your kind of 
other career but I completely relate to that sentiment I completely get it it's so time consuming and mind consuming Mm -hmm. and like you say you then get this identity attached to you of yeah I'm the person like for me I was gluten-free for many years Mm -hmm. and I was the gluten-free girl and like you know people learned to make accommodations for me and I was also like the super healthy girl so then you know, there's these ideas of like, oh, well, Tally doesn't eat that. Or like, oh, you're not going to eat that, are you? Especially when you're slowly trying to challenge this identity yeah. of like the kind of, I think, dissonance for people because they're kind of like, well, I know you was, uh, you're in this box as this and you you kind of put yourself in this oh, yeah. healthy box. Yeah. And then when you try and get out of it, it feels harder because everyone else around you is like, but yeah you belong in the box exactly exactly it's a hard climb out for sure because you've um you've created you've created that it created that persona that identity it's how everybody knew me um and it it feels really sad reflecting on all that time because like we were talking about dieting as a career but I actually had a really interesting career my first career I was an interior designer I ran a multi-million pound company I actually had a lot of other things interesting things to talk about and that was going on in my life but none of it seemed that important it was kind of like yeah I've got that nailed down I knew what I'm doing in that respect but when it comes to food and body stuff it's like I need to stay vigilant because this isn't something that's going to come naturally to me so I need to double down. Isn't it interesting like you say how you had such a fantastic career you had that sort of success and you were doing really cool things. I mean, I feel like we can tell the interior design touches just from your background, literally what I can see. Um, But also that even with that, dieting still took the the main stage Mm -hmm. and that that was one of the biggest parts that people probably knew about you and and associated with you. And you're right. I know Christy Harrison always says like diet culture is a life thief. Mm -hmm. And I think it does. It overshadows so much other wonderful, important, brilliant things you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing photographs of I'm now 44, but I remember my 30th birthday the day after I'd had I had such a great time at my birthday. All my friends, I was surrounded by all my friends. And I remember looking at the photos the next day and rather than the memories of that evening sort of taking center stage, I remember being so devastated at the size of my body. And I remember crying to my ex-husband about um, how miserable I was and how, you know, I was turning 30 and I didn't want my life to be, you know, trying to shrink my body. But I still did for many years after that. But that's that's the life thief that it is. My remember my 30th birthday as a time when I was so deeply unhappy with myself. And I went on to lose a ton of weight after that. And I would say now my body's now bigger than it was in those photos at my 30th birthday. But I feel so differently about my body now and how I exist in it than back then. So it does show you that, you know, to a degree, at least in terms of the size of body that I have ever been, um, it definitely is about um, a belief system that happily I was able to change. Yeah, I resonate with that as well. Likewise, I think I always say like my least confident was probably when I was smaller because I've never been more focused and fixated and checking myself in every single reflective surface. Like I, 
I've never been more aware of what I look like or any minor fluctuation or any sort of bloating or whatever it was. Like I knew about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I kind of am like, oh, I don't know. I don't, I, it is such a secondary thought. And like you say, all of this has been, was so primary for you mm-hmm. that now it being a secondary thing where it's really not about that. It's just a sort of background thing. Yeah. It really does open up to having more time and energy and I suppose doing all the things you do now, Yeah, you know? Yeah, it has definitely changed my life uh, so much for the better. And it's it's been such a journey of once you start to get that time back, get the life back, m- sort of move away from that distraction. Because I think dieting, you know, people say that food is, the, is, is addictive, but it's not dieting is addictive. Dieting is the addiction and it's the distraction that keeps you from actually looking at the pieces of your life that that I was essentially emotionally eating over because I wasn't really happy with the direction that my life was going in and it was I guess I was trying to seek fulfillment in other areas and I think if you do subscribe to diet culture and everything that it promises um, there is a pursuit of fulfillment through it and I think that's what I was desperately trying to seek I, I, I say a lot of the time to my clients you know, people don't want thinness, what they want is freedom. And they think that thinness Mm. is going to give them that freedom. Um, But I found it another way. Um, That didn't mean that I had to perpetuate violence against my body. We assign thinness as this, once you're there, and I, I understand that especially if people living in larger bodies, like there is an element of like reducing the stigma and harm you're going to mm-hmm. experience. And that is real. Like I, mm-hmm. I think that is real. And also I think we assign so much of like life will happen when, and I will be able to be this person when I'm a certain dress size, when a certain number on the scale shows up. And that we think that a number needs to, to make that happen. Yeah. Whereas I'm sure you and I and many other guests we've had on this podcast and many people listening can go, well, hang on a second. I'm making it happen now. Mm -hmm. And any of those numbers are irrelevant. And I didn't need to wait. Yeah. I didn't need to wait for a magical day when I was suddenly, I looked like the person in the magazines. Like I can be that person now. Absolutely. So the other thing I want to sort of rewind back to those dieting days, because I think there was another bit I read that I found really interesting, was that you would kind of switch to different things Mm -hmm. through that kind of dieting process. So whether it was starting a diet on Christmas Day or like um, going sober, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but interestingly, like a very weight loss related thing for you, going vegan, Mm -hmm. A lot of these kind of big lifestyle choices that came with probably a very nice set of rules to follow, mm-hmm. you know, something to kind of cling to in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just really interested to hear about those different phases for you and how it was kind of one thing to the next thing to the next thing. Yeah, I, I think um, absolutely. And it was an annual thing. Every year it would be like, this year I'm doing this protocol, this year I'm doing this. And I officially stopped dieting in 2015 and make that decision, but it doesn't necessarily mean that your whole belief system is is going to change overnight. It is a process to unlearn all that um, diet culture stuff that we've internalized. 
So before 2015, it was all the different diets that you, you know, that are on the go that, that you could name. And they were all just different ways of restriction, whether it was calories, whether it was carbs, um, you name it, I, I did it. But post 2015, I was like, okay, I'm not going to focus on weight anymore. But as we know, diet culture just shape shifts. And for me, even though I, I was like, I'm not going to control my weight, I was I then became obsessed about health. So 2015 was that switch of like, okay, I'm, it's impossible for me to suppress my weight. It, it just is, be, is become intolerable. So what I'm going to do instead is if I'm going to be this kind of bigger, curvier person, I'm going to be the healthiest, bigger, biggest, you know, curvier person. So I became obsessed with health. And, and um, that's when I did the, the year of, of, of no alcohol. I became vegan. Like I did all these other um, different things. That's when I started studying nutrition. And as we know, nutrition, um, you said at the beginning of this um, call, you know, we all, we all have our own journey. And that's what leads us into the anti-diet space, because you can't go to college or university to learn this stuff, you learn through experience. And my experience um, studying nutrition and to a degree, yoga teaching, I mean, I was really fortunate to be in a very inclusive environment. But yoga culture at large is very much influenced by diet culture as well. So doing those two things, my nutrition certification and my uh, yoga teaching certification, um, really supported my new kind of um mission to be the healthiest person um that ever lived and um I could definitely say that led me down I wouldn't say that I I was necessarily diagnosed orthorexic but I had orthorex strong orthorexic tendencies that um wasn't helpful (laughs) yeah you say once again kind of reading um things about you and and you saying that you when you were at this you know training to be a health coach doing the nutrition stuff um maybe even partly the yoga stuff like it reinforcing and enabling in a way that those orthorexic tendencies Mm -hmm. the idea that you know it's very encouraged to be you know constantly thinking about the you know how healthy the ingredients are that you're using and 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 thinking about the nutrition stuff likewise with movement as well feeling like you have to be always on top form Mm -hmm. what was what was that how do you feel that it enabled you at that time I would even go so far as to say it wasn't necessarily about being about drawn towards the most healthy things although that was definitely a thing I at one point was making my own milk from scratch which I didn't have the time for. I was running a multi-million pound company at the time. I didn't have time to be making milk. But it it was it was um, really rather than necessarily going toward what I thought was the healthiest thing, it was actually more about trying to distance myself um, from what I thought was quote unquote unhealthy or processed. It was there was a lot of fear in it. So in my health coaching certification, there was a lot of um stigmatizing and demonizing of certain foods and I got to a place where my safe foods were getting less and less and less it's like okay I've listened to this lecture about eggs that's off the table I listened to this lecture about cow's milk that's off the table I no longer have dairy processed foods 
that's bad. I'm not doing that. And it just, my world became a lot smaller when it came to safe foods. And then it meant that convenience was out the window, right? I had to make everything from scratch. And I learned to cook, which I think was probably the only good thing that came out of all of this, because before I probably did lean on convenience a lot more. So I I learned to cook through that process. But it was, um, it's really stressful when you're scared of food. Really stressful. And yeah, I certainly relate to that need to be super healthy. And like you say, feeling like you have your safe stuff. And then maybe being exposed to things that weren't on the like good list Mm -hmm. is terrifying and really um uncomfortable was there a moment for you where there was like a bubble burst moment of like hang on a second what am I doing yeah I think it was a slow unraveling from like 2015 when I that was really when I recognized that I'm not in control of my body I've tried this so many times I just yo-yo like I, this is the body that I was meant to have. But that absolutely didn't mean that in 2015, I was was reading stuff about health at every size or intuitive eating. That was still so far from my world. I think it was in 2018 when I qualified as a health coach, I started working with people and I started to listen to other people's stories about their body and their weight and their shape and their size. And started to realize that actually so many people out there feel or have felt the same way that I do and I didn't feel like I was in a position to be promoting weight loss because there was an incongruence there how could I possibly do that if I was never really successful long term at it um I'd be lying I would be building a business on a foundation of of lies so that was in I I uh, qualified in 2000 September 2018 and I remember in January 2019 Laura Thomas published her book um Just Eat It and that was the game changer. I'd already started sort of hearing about intuitive eating before that doing a little bit of reading um I guess you could say I was on the fence sort of between sort of late 2018 early 2019 and then she actually spoke at a like a wellness um festival and I went to hear her speak and I read her book like within a day of that and I I was like yeah this everything about this feels like coming back to that that um congruence that sort of authenticity that feeling of this sits so much more comfortably with me because it's actually what I've experienced. I know this to be true, not just because I've read a book, but I've lived this. So that from that point on, I just started to learn more. I did, I've done a ton of different trainings and mentorships and um, learning more and more about health at every size. And, and also not just from a coaching perspective, but from a yoga perspective, how does this inform my yoga practice and how does it inform um, how I teach And can that be done in a weight neutral way as well and not sort of upholding the system of diet culture that is so prevalent in in the yoga world? Uh, I'm so interested about all of this and I definitely want to get into the yoga stuff, but I'm also really interested in exploring that on the fence time for you. I think there are so many people and I know and I hope that people in that position who kind of feel like, in that limbo perhaps of like oh I I can't do this dieting thing anymore and also 
gaining weight terrifies me and this feels very and you're saying fat is healthy and all these questions that so many people have um and you still want to lose weight and all these things I know and I hope that this podcast is kind of a place where those people can come and feel they can learn without judgment so I would really love to know what your experience of that was and what questions you may have had and and the the process of that yeah yeah you're absolutely right the the things that I was learning or hearing felt so opposite to how I was raised my what I learned from my parents what I learned from in my nutrition training what I just learned from the world at large but yet it felt true so I needed, I think I needed a few things. I, I needed to do more reading and more research, but I also needed to experience what it would be like to uh, lean into a life of no rules and nourishing myself and knowing fine well, I knew my body would change. I knew I was weight suppressing. And I think the reason people sit on the fence is, like I've not worked with a single client who comes into this this work and is like, yeah, I'm here, I'm ready for it. I want to put diet behind me. I know I'm going to put on weight and I'm fine with that. And of course, we don't know that they're going to put on weight. Everybody comes into this at a different point. Nobody knows what's going to happen to your body. But it's probably fair to say if you've been weight suppressing, you're, you're you know, through restriction or compulsive exercise, your body is likely going to change. And I, I I knew that was happen would happen. But I, like most people, was like, well, I'm going to give this intuitive eating thing a go. And once I learn how to respond to hunger and fullness signals, I think I potentially might lose weight through this. And oh, so many people I come think, to intuitive yeah, eating that way. Yeah. Understandably so, though. Yeah. Understandably so. Yeah. Um, and so, I, so I, I suppose I was going through my own personal journey while simultaneously starting to build a business around coaching. Yeah, I just felt like I couldn't, um, I couldn't be pushed down a, a, a kind of weight loss. And thankfully, I never did. I, I can hand on heart say that I've never helped anybody try to lose weight. Um, but I felt like I couldn't do that because. I didn't have the proof, essentially. I, I, Everything I was reading was saying, actually, this isn't possible um, long term for the vast majority of us. Um, and so it just it just it didn't line with my values and it didn't line with my ethics. But I was still, I, it still took a while. It took time to learn to trust my body. And it also, as a coach, took time to learn that I don't have to sell weight loss in order to be a coach. Because every, like... Um, health coach business mentor out there tells you if you want to be a successful coach you this is what people want this is what people will come to you for and there at that point in time wasn't really that many people out there that I could see making um there was nutritionists there was dietitians there was trainers but health coaching is like quite a new thing still in the UK and I was like I I can't see anyone doing this um, so it, I, I took a lot of convincing on a lot of different levels. And it's that simultaneous feeling of tasting that freedom of like, well, I don't need to count and, and restrict, but also the fear. And, and, and it takes time to um, learn how to manage that fear. You're right. There aren't that many people doing it, especially 
you know, 2018, 2019. Um, and so having the sort of role models, it's like you went and did it, which is great. I think you're probably inspiring other people within health coaching to to say like, we don't have to sell weight loss to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because there's so many parallels with the fitness industry in that sense. It's like, like you say, you're taught and you're encouraged to market transformations. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's the same yeah. for you. Like that, that's the kind of currency with which you work within the fitness space that if you can't produce a transformation, then you must not be very good at your job. Yeah which is ridiculous because it's narrowing fitness down to purely a weight loss exercise, which it, that is the furthest thing that it could be actually. Um, and likewise as well, in theory, you know, health coaching should be about health. It's interesting how the health and weight thing is so intertwined and that that is what you're actually selling, that the health is really just a, a nice shiny sticker on top of of intentional weight loss. Yeah, and I I even now sort of play around with what I even call myself because I think to to call yourself a health coach unless you are aware of what the anti-diet movement is and this this um health at every size approach to um this work like 99.9% of people is just going to assume that when I say health I mean weight loss. It's 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 so intertwined, as you say. Um, so I often even like really wonder if I want to call myself that because because of how we think of health for in the mainstream, it it could be seen as misleading. You know, I because I don't subscribe to that uh, mainstream paradigm. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And now I suppose doing what you do now um, and being an inclusive yoga teacher and also doing the coaching as well, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are so relieved to find what you do. So that, like you say, even though they may come with certain, there, there may be some apprehension there that, that there's also a like, oh, I found someone who gets it, who's willing to hear me out, who knows that it's not just my, it's not my fault. It's not my lack of willpower, or lack of determination or lack of discipline, that there's so much more to this than other people have have you know made me believe yeah there's so much more to it and and I've as I've worked as a coach and and gone further along in my own journey 
I, you know, how I worked back in 2018 to how I work now is so vastly different because when I first got into this work, I um, believed that it was just about food. You know, yeah, I can help people with, with food. And then after a while, I realized, actually, I think there's, the body's got a lot to do with this, how we view our bodies um, how bodies are viewed in the world, how we um, feel we need to control them. So I moved a lot more from um, intuitive eating into body liberation work. And, and now, sort of how many years are we now? Six years, five, six years down the line. I'm now at a place where I think, yeah, maybe it's not even about that. Maybe it's actually even deeper. Maybe liberation work goes way beyond our body. And um so that's when I, I um, a year ago now, decided to start training as, as a therapist and really get into the weeds of, of how we're conditioned and how we're socialized. And, um, and I think that's run parallel with my own journey as well, because when you think about liberation and freedom, I found that through food. I found that through my body. And then I even started to look at my big my bigger life that I was telling you earlier that I wasn't happy with. And of course, I changed careers, but then also I... Um, in the last couple of years ended my um 23 year relationship i was married for 20 years to a man and um now i'm in a same-sex relationship with a woman and i can hand on heart put that down to this work that i've done that all those years ago thought was just about food i thought it was just that i couldn't control myself around food and and when you follow those breadcrumbs from food to body to what actual true liberation feels like and how we operate under the this social conditioning that we've that we've had it, it it kind of opens your life up into whole whole lot of different directions and I hear that a lot from my clients who not only change relationships or move abroad or change careers or um you know leave a a, a faith that they were maybe part of it it's it's really transformational and I think I'm glad people come into this thinking that Oh, intuitive eating, this might help me lose weight because it is the gateway, it's the entryway into something that is so much bigger and so much more fundamental, particularly to women and other marginalized people who um, feel that they need to change themselves in order to exist peacefully in this world. So I have a lot to thank it for. And I, I see that in my clients as well. It opens up a whole new world. Like you say, it is such a catalyst, isn't it? It is a catalyst for, I, I, I always say like with this work that the food and the exercise and even the body image, a lot of it is the iceberg you see above the surface. And then underneath is so much more than that. And you actually have to kind of clear this stuff above the surface. So why I think people working on their relationship with food, their bodies with movement, then they like, okay, well now that's not taking up all this brain space and I can now have more clarity on other things in my life. And yeah. like you say, that may lead to big life changes, big decisions um, that may give time for that. And I think that is so powerful and why I think this work can be really transformative and, and be the beginning of that journey and be the catalyst that sparks, you know, so much change. Yeah in people's lives yeah I absolutely agree you're once you take that distraction away you can actually start to look at well who am I I remember you saying on on one of your podcasts that um someone asked you you know if 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 you weren't you know doing this like who would you be and it's 
it's a good question if you're not a dieter and you're not someone who is known for bringing their Tupperware to Christmas dinner then who who actually am I so you 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 need you know you're forced to look at your beliefs your identity your values how you want to show up in the world and it's um it's confrontational I can understand why people straddle the fence for a while because you kind of know it's going to open the door to something really big and you know not everyone's um always ready for that in the beginning so yeah Uh, yeah yeah so so true. Have you read Food Therapy by Pixie Town? Oh my God. I'm bear with me. I know your listeners can't see me. I just um ordered it because I feel like what she's done through um nutrition and now um being a psychotherapist is really similar to my journey as well. And obviously being a queer woman as well feels um like I definitely can resonate with that. So it's uh it's right by my bed, ready for um a read in the next couple of weeks. I recommend everyone read Food Therapy because it is, as you say, and I think what what you're saying already, that we think it's the food and then we dig deeper and actually there's so much more going on. And I think that's a really great book for people who might be just curious about it because, you know, it's it's just so helpful and I think it really helps introduce people to therapy it helps in- introduce people to that kind of self-reflection self-awareness that maybe the food has been helping me cope with something much harder and much and something much greater than I, perhaps we even realize I think I think you're gonna love it yeah. you're gonna love it Good. so let's talk about yoga teaching you when did you get into yoga was that like more in the dieting times and has it kind of progressed with you throughout that or or what was that being like yeah it was definitely um I I got into it actually not through uh and this you know this is going to help me change my body I got into it because I was a bit of a workaholic in my first career and I uh, spent many hours at a desk uh hunched over my desk and I had a lot of back pain and uh my physio recommended yoga as as a really good uh therapy for that so um the gym that I went to which I used to do all the Les Mills classes at my gym I would do the combat and the bump and the all the kind of like quite aggressive kind of stuff like I you know was happy to be shouted at I was happy to be kind of like forced into doing certain things because I felt like that's what exercise was like it's punitive it needs to be punitive to be effective so I so I was already a member of a gym so thankfully thank I really thank the lord for this that I very very by happen chance fell into a yoga class that was um very very inclusive I think knowing what I know now of yoga culture I could quite easily have um, found my way into a class that would have supported my diet mentality thinking. It could have really supported that we do yoga in order to perform and change our bodies. Um, Thank goodness that uh, that wasn't my experience. I wasn't living in the city at the time. I I was living further north and the yoga class was filled with all different ages, different genders, different abilities, um people were coming there to find uh some space in their day uh some space in their body uh people weren't coming to that class to change or or modify their body and thank goodness so I I think I my first class was in 2008 I think 2008 something like that so I've been a student for a long time 
And it wasn't until it was, yeah, it was about 10 years later that I decided to train to become a teacher. And, um, you know, mainstream yoga teacher training, even though I trained with my teacher, um, that whose class I'd gone to for 10 years, it's not as inclusive as it could be. Um, I was fortunate, but I still feel there was a long way to go. So very much like, you know, once you become a nutritionist or a dietitian, or in your case, a PT, once you've got that certification, you can then go on and, um, you know, be mentored by people who do the kind of work that you feel aligned with. And, and that's what I did um, at the beginning of the pandemic. I did a, um, an inclusive training with two yoga teachers, Amber Carnes and um, Diane Bondi, who do a training for um, diverse communities and um, people in bigger bodies. And that's what I love doing. People who think that they don't have a yoga body and can't get on a yoga mat because they don't look a certain way. You know, I understand that yoga has a pretty bad reputation in that respect. Um, but it is ultimately a spiritual practice. You know, it uh, has loads of physical benefits, but my goodness, has a lot of mental benefits too. So um, that's what I love doing. And I love help. I love that combination of helping my coaching clients um, through essentially a talking therapy, but also how can we feel more embodied? How can we um, get onto the yoga mat and start experiencing our body from the inside out? Um, and that does bring up a lot of things that, that we might talk about afterwards in coaching. But it certainly helped me uh, change my relationship with my body. And it's where I, I say I say this all the time, that little patch on the floor where my yoga mat existed. That is where I started to give myself permission to be compassionate towards myself, to be kind towards myself. And if I could do it there, then maybe I could um, take it out into my wider life as well after that. It's so important that we have yoga teachers like you and like you say that there are classes out there for people who don't feel necessarily seen and represented in the yoga space because like you say when we look online we see that yoga is a very kind of thin white practice that it's very um, you have to be super duper flexible and be able to do all these kind of poses and all this sort of stuff um, when really it can be such in, in its essence it's a spiritual practice but really it can be so about connecting with your body and you know being in your body and I think I think for people who've gone through a lot of dieting and things like that they're so disconnected mm -hmm. that this is a fantastic way to reconnect with their bodies and that to have that space to do that is so powerful um in some practical ways like what are the differences for you in a sort of, you know, standard yoga class versus a, the, you know, when you're teaching yoga, the kind of inclusive space you're trying to create. The culture of inclusivity starts from um, the minute people, well, it actually starts from before the, the minute people come into the door, because in order to attract people into your classes, um, I think we need to look at how we market our classes, how we um, represent ourselves on social media, all of that. But once people come into class, um, I'm a huge advocate of props. I think if you're somebody that exists in a bigger body, props are going to help you. I think props help everybody, right? But I think, you know, it doesn't matter what size body you're in. But ultimately, when we're in a bigger body, we, we want to find ways where we can find more space parts of our body are running into other parts of our body when we're folding forward, um, then I think props help us bring the floor up towards us to, 
find a bit more space. And I think um, in a inclusive class, then there wouldn't be any stigma around that. You wouldn't be considering props as crutches. You would be considering them as tools to really help your practice. Obviously, there wouldn't be any diet talk. There wouldn't be any talk of working things out, you know, working um, off any food um, or um, it being detrimental to your body in any way as to how it looks or making fun of your body. The language that we use as well. So I really try and adopt approach of, of like what I like to call a non-hierarchical um, language. So I'm not the expert as the, the yoga teacher. I call myself a teacher, not an instructor. I'm not instructing you. I can't instruct you. It's your body. You're the expert of your body. I can teach you how to um, embrace the practice in the body that you're in and not feel like you have to change your body um, in order to to practice yoga. I'm really happy to talk about things like bellies and boobs and thighs and things that, that can be tricky in yoga classes, right? So in my class, I will... I remember the first time I was in a class... And it wasn't my regular yoga teacher, it was a substitute teacher, and she was in a bigger body. My regular teacher was in a smaller body. And that is part of the problem within yoga culture is smaller bodied people teaching smaller bodied people who then become smaller bodied teachers. <laughs> and the cycle goes on. But this teacher was a, a stand-in teacher and she had a bigger body. And she said to me, she said, um, you know that you can um you can take your hands to your belly and you can you can move it out the way. You can take your hands to your breast and you can you can move it out the way. No one had ever said that to me in yoga class. My jaw hit the floor. I was like, what? We're actually allowed to touch our own body and move stuff? I mean, that tells you how disconnected I was from my body at the time that I didn't want to touch my body or feel like um, that there were things that might get in the way that made me different from other people in, in the class. Um, so yeah, those are, those are a few things. But I think generally just being on the side of your body really practical things like um, taking time to get set up in a pose so that you can move what you need to move. So generally, I would say my classes are a bit slower paced. There's a lot that it's more wordy, I think. It's um, it's just a different way of practicing. Probably I'm not a vinyasa teacher. So if any of your listeners know the different types of um, yoga, I think Ashtanga and vinyasa can be harder, not impossible, but harder styles to adopt an inclusive approach. I teach Hatha and I think slower Practices like Hatha or Yin are, are easier to adopt a more inclusive approach just to allow everybody the time and space they need to um, figure out how the pose looks for them, as opposed to trying to squeeze their body into the pose looking like what we see on Instagram. It's going to be different for, for all of us. And that's OK. Yes, we need to like it's OK if it's different. You adapt, modify, make it work for you. And I want to always encourage people to do that. Yet so many people don't know, like you had that experience of like, I didn't know how to make it work for me. I knew yeah. that it didn't work for my body. No one gave me the permission. No one gave you the permission or the tools or the knowledge. Yeah. It's so important that we have people like you doing what you're doing. Um, so with that in mind, then I have to ask you, what has been your most recent train happy moment, Gillian? Oh, so I was thinking about this and I went to this class uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago now. And I'd gone to it maybe about a year ago and it time lapsed and it was a tricky time for me this time last year. Um, but I went back to it and this class is called Move to Feel. And I guess you could say it's a hard thing to explain. I guess the closest thing you could relate it to is a silent disco, but it's not a disco. 
Um, the last one I did was on the beach underneath the strawberry moon. There was 20 women um, being led by this uh, teacher who we all had the headphones on and she had um, built a soundtrack, uh, or an hour soundtrack of, of uh, music, of songs. And um, they followed an arc. So they started really quite slow and gentle and then it got more intense um, to the peak of the arc and then went down the other side and for the whole hour she speaks to you through your headphones and um, it's all very invitational what would it feel like if you were to explore standing on one leg what would it feel like if you were to root your feet into the floor what it would feel like if you found expansion through your body what would it feel like if you actually um, found sort of comfort by hugging your body all these different invitations as we moved through the hour well to anybody else we were just 20 women all moving in completely <laughs> different ways um, and of course the passers-by couldn't help hear anything because it was all through our headphones but it was one of the most free liberating way of moving my body in a way that essentially you're just on this journey of just trying to find what feels good in your body on the beach bare feet feet in the sand looking out to the sea during the sunset it was truly truly incredible and so embodied it was beautiful it sounds amazing amazing yeah. we need that we need that down here too yeah I'm sure you um, have it move to feel it's called move to feel okay everyone make sure you have a look Gillian it's been such a pleasure chatting with you where can people find you support your work perhaps work with you yeah I think the best place is my website which is jillianmccollum.com uh, I am on Instagram um, and my Instagram handle is actually I am Gillian Wilson um, I'm in the middle of trying to transition my name back to my maiden name um, but I would say my website's where you're going to find everything um, about me on there fabulous we'll make sure we try and link that too but this has been wonderful Gillian keep doing what you're doing um we love to see it thank you so much Tally but that is it for this week's episode of the train happy podcast thank you so much for listening I hope you took something away from this episode and if you did please do let us know on social media you can find us on instagram at train happy podcast and we do want to hear from you we want your questions we want to hear your train happy moments and we'd love to feature you as train happy trooper of the week so remember you can get in touch with us via our whatsapp it is 07599927537 and whatever podcast platform you're choosing to listen to us on please rate and review it really helps the show and it really helps spread the train a happy message and that is it for this week i'll be back with a brand new episode for you next monday see you then hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.